Greetings, this is Cody, and you're listening to Cantus Firmus at the Movies, where we are discussing the 2009 film Mr. Nobody. My guest is Steve Hilliker, an atheist ex-Christian who lives near Seattle with his wife and two teenage sons. Steve deconverted from Christianity in 2005 while earning his bachelor's degree in biblical studies uh, and was planning to be a pastor. What followed was a major life crisis. Steve's career path was gone, and his wife was still a Christian. He worried about how they would raise their kids. He couldn't find resources or a community for ex-Christians, and he struggled with depression. Years later, Steve realized the importance for himself and others in discussing these experiences. In 2017, Steve started the Voices of Deconversion podcast to encourage ex-Christian atheists and agnostics. And uh, thank you, Steve, for being here. Yeah, thanks, Cody. I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to get into this. Yeah, me too. The, the, the movie you picked was an interesting one that I, I had never uh, seen before. It may actually be the first Jared Leto film that I've seen all the way through. He's yeah, one of the, those kind of icons weird, yeah. Yeah, that you, you sort of hear about. But yeah, um, so well, I wanted to get a little bit more into your background. So the, the podcast you have, The Voices of Deconversion, is, is interesting uh, you know, for me as someone who's interested in, in subjects of uh, you know, faith and non-faith. And uh, you know, it's, it's kind of even if you're not uh, an atheist or you haven't made a deconversion, um, it's sociologically interesting. And, and, and it's also interesting to sort of uh, be able to empathize with, uh, you know, some, another, someone else's experience. So I, I found it to be a valuable exercise for myself, but you were, you were working on a bachelor's degree at the time that, did you complete that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I ended up with my, my bachelor's degree in biblical studies, uh, but it was the end of my junior year when <laughs> I was, I think in a bit of denial, like I, I like to kind of, um, compare like going through deconversion a lot of times has a lot of those five stages of grief in it because uh -huh. a lot of us don't want to deconvert it just happens and um yeah. i i was in the denial phase until my wife turned to me one day when i was talking about the the humanity of jesus and maybe he's not divine and i wasn't thinking about the consequences of my of my words yeah and then she just she was christian this was really upsetting to her and she just goes you're not a christian anymore and i just turned around and looked at her like what? What are you talking about? It's a complete shock. So it was um, at that moment it was like, oh, she's right, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so then it was then it was tough. So it was I was just finishing my junior year, so um, it was like, oh crap! Now we got one more year to go, and and you know, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? You know? Sure. Wow. Well, and what was the what was the school you were going to? Uh, well, it was called Trinity Lutheran College, mm -hmm. and it actually went out of business a couple years ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> you can still find it online because they have like a, I want to say charity, but it's like a, a foundation or something gotcha. that they created. And um, yeah, so, wow. but anyway, yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, based in the Lutheran, like, uh, what do they call it? ELCA. It's kind of a, a liberal branch of okay. the Lutheran church. Gotcha. Um, and I had no idea. I was a conservative Christian when I went there, and I didn't understand any of that. Yeah, sure. He's going to a Christian college. Yeah, so yeah. that was that was interesting to learn. Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to say it's too bad it was an Episcopalian school because you you could have been an atheist and and, and still probably been a, been a bishop or something. And I thought about. I mean, you know, you've invested all this time, and it's like, well, if I don't believe in God, like, could I just like, you know, kind of fake it, you know, and uh, you know, in a serious way, not not like, yeah. yeah um, but yeah, you just. You know, you're like, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know? Oh, it's so, tough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, 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 I don't feel that I'm um, in any major, major danger of a uh, um, crisis of faith at the moment. But that is something I've thought about because I'm, I'm working on a master's degree, and I've, I've sort of thought, you know, if, if I ever had some kind of a deconversion experience, uh, would, would I regret of having uh, gone through that education? Because it yeah. sort of seems like 
um, it's religion's kind of like the force, you know, you, you, you either choose the light side or the dark side. So you, you go to school and you study it and you either end up uh, teaching it and, and professing it, or you sort of take a sometimes a more hostile view, it seems in academia toward it. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely have those thoughts of like, like, you know, you have those regrets and I think this is part of why I like this film, but um, uh, you have those regrets. Like why, you know, why did I, commit my life to this? Why was I so devoted to God? And I know it might be weird for your Christian listeners to hear, but um, why was I so devoted to God and all in like that to have it all go away? And now, now all my career path's gone, my marriage is in jeopardy. Um, So yeah, you definitely have those, like, what, like, why did I pursue that type of thoughts? You know, what was your own personal, um, was it kind of a more of an experiential or existential sort of crisis or was it, um, was it related to, was it intellectual more or how, how did that go about for you? Yeah. yeah that's funny. Cause a lot of my guests on my podcast, it's really, I think, I think it varies, but for, for me, I'll just say for me, it was, it was kind of academic and kind of, um, it was an intellectual thing. Mm-hmm. I do think there's definitely emotions in there. You're, you know, we're human. And so, Every, you know, I can't just say like it was strictly, um, strictly academic, but for me, that's when it started to kind of fall apart was when I started learning some different understandings of the Bible, you know, these liberal mm-hmm. ideas of like the Bible as a metaphor, um, things like that. And then starting to go, oh, wow, I can be a Christian and not have to believe like a snake talked to a person or a donkey talked mm-hmm. to a person or something, you know, like I can just set those things aside. Um, so yeah, it was kind of discovering all those things that started me down this path of like, okay, the Bible's not exactly the inerrant word of God, which is what I thought it was when I was growing up, you know? Sure. So that, that's what kind of started it all. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm not sure if there's, I don't sure if there's a clean transition from that to the film, but I was just interested in some of the, some of the background that you had there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so for those who haven't seen the film and, and this was the kind of film that I don't think you can discuss without spoiling. So we're just going to go ahead and spoil it. The film Mr. Nobody was made in 2009, uh, starring Jared Leto. And the director's name, I've struggled with pronunciation a little bit. He uh, appears to be a a French-Belgium, and I think it's Jaco van Dormael, maybe, something to that extent. And and basically the idea of the film, and and I'll just sort of borrow the, the tagline that was used on the website when they were promoting the film. And that is a boy stands on a station platform as a train is about to leave. Should we, should he go with his mother or stay with his father? Infinite possibilities arise from this decision. As long as he doesn't choose anything is possible. And that's actually a pretty succinct explanation. But the basic idea is that you, you have this character who you see when he's much older uh, as the film starts and, and it starts to unwind all these possibilities and you find out as the film goes on that it all goes back to this moment where he's forced to make a choice between his two parents who are, who are divorcing. And, uh, but then he, there's of course other choices that happen along the way and they tend to center around who he ends up with romantically. So there's three women in particular. There is Elise, who is this girl he meets in high school. Who's this sort of troubled. This, this is as if he stays with his dad, this sort of troubled girl and she's in love with someone else and they get married and she's depressed um, and, you know, stays in her room the whole time. And then as the film goes on, you find that she's still in love with this other person who, you know, I guess he'd hoped that she'd forgotten about after they'd started dating in high school. Then there's the, the Anna character who is, uh, sort of becomes a stepsister if he stays with his mom and they take up a sort of a romantic relationship. And then there's a third woman who I don't feel like you get as much of, and, and, and maybe that's reflective of how he feels about her <laughs> because, it's, it's this life where he's 
wealthy and he goes after all these things that are supposed to make him happy. Uh, but he's not. He's depressed and he's contemplating suicide. And she seems perfectly wonderful, but for whatever reason, he's just not into it. And you see her a lot less. I don't really, you don't really know much about her. And like I said, maybe that's a way of, you know, seeing her through his eyes that there's not much there to see. Um, but I, I feel bad for her a little bit. He's an older man in the future looking back at all these choices. Uh, they introduce this sort of sci fi uh, futuristic world that I don't know if that ever fully pays off, but. Um, he seems to be the last person who's like who's mortal. Everyone else can choose to extend their lives permanently, and that may fit in in a way that I haven't quite figured out yet. But I, I kind of remember leaving the watching the film and sort of thinking, okay, was that there just to look cool, or was that was that part of the plot somehow that yeah. was important? But but he's looking back at all these choices, and it's about you know the significance of of, of choices and what you're supposed to uh, how you're supposed to feel about the choices you make, and and, and you know that kind of thing. Um, the significance of the of the choices that you make in life, and, and I'd be curious. You kind of alluded to this earlier about why this film might stand out for you as an important one. Why was this one that you wanted to discuss when uh, when I got in touch with you? Yeah, um, it. Well, like when I, I think the thing that I like the most about the film is that that scene near the end of the movie where the guy's asking them, you, you've told me these three different stories, you know, they can't all be correct. They're all contradictory. And then uh, the old man says, do you mean to say that we need to make choices? We have to make choices. Um, and the guy asks him something else and he's, and uh, he asks, which one's the right one, which life's the right one. And the old man says, every life is the right one. Each of these paths is the right path. And that's actually why I, why I like the film because for, for me with my kind of my history, um, I had not only had I chosen a path that I thought was firm and solid, um, there were other things in my life, other times earlier when, when I kind of had an idea of what I wanted out of my life and it didn't work out. And so you look back and sometimes you have these regrets, you know, and you think like, well, what would have happened if I had, you know, had different hobbies or had different interests or gone a different direction. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, it's all these, these what ifs and, um, this film actually helped me kind of come to peace with the idea of like, it's okay, whatever happened. Like, like in these, in this film, you can see these three different scenarios in, in two of them. He's not really, let's see. No. in, in one of the options, he's not really into his wife that much, but she's into him. And then the other two, he's really into his wife. Like, you know, he's in love with her, but like the ones mentally ill, not really in love with him. And then the other one is in love with him, but then it ends up not being what they thought it would be in the end. So it's just, to me, what I like is that there's, it's a way of saying like, no matter what path you take in life, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be good and bad. And I think the, the takeaway for me is like, just live life, just embrace it. All the crazy twists and turns it, it brings. Hmm. Um, so that, that's kind of the takeaway message that I got from it. Uh, and it, it, yeah, it's kind of comforting in a way uh, that thought I think, but. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, the, the every path is, is the right path thing was, was an interesting idea for me um, because it's, it seems to me that you, you could take that to an extreme and, and, and I think most of us would, would probably disagree with it, right? So like, uh, you know, I, I, so like on the one hand, I definitely agree that we far too often will, will look back at the tough choices we made and, um, and, you know, like which job to take, which person to marry. And, and these are choices that don't necessarily have like moral content. You know, they're, e each one would be, you know, would be fine to, to, to make, but we agonize over whether it was the right choice. And this kind of anxiety, I think, can like 
paralyze us in the present. And so that we, we are not really, we can't really live in the moment. We, we don't really invest where we are now with as much value and significance as we should. And uh, I mean, I see this happening in the film, for example, with, with Nemo and the one wife, Jean, who um, he's just not interested in. And then there's Elise, who is the, the wife that's not interested in him. And she does that with him. I mean, she's reflecting on this other person, this other choice, this other path that she could have made. And meanwhile, she has a perfectly wonderful husband who's doing everything he can for her. And, and they have kids together and he's a great dad. Right. But she can't stop thinking about this idiot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Stefano. Stef yeah, even his name, you go, okay, what an idiot. Yeah, come but, on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... But but yeah, so so that I think is totally valid. That at some point we have to say this is where we are, whether through our own choices or through you know chance or fate or whatever, um, and let's make the most that we can out of it. You know, let's uh, you know uh, you know bloom where we're planted or whatever. We, we we find value where we are and we we make it work. Yeah. So, but on the other hand, like you know, we wouldn't like look very fondly on a, a serial killer reflecting on his past choices and deciding that the path he chose was the right path just because he happened to choose it. Right. Uh, so I think if, if you, you know, if you're, if you remove the moral equation, I, cause I, like I said, I may be. Is it hard for you to kind of not have those mixed together? The yeah. Moral and the, yeah. Well, I, I think it's, it's, it's this sort of complicated thing of, um, you know, I, I'm interested in philosophy and logic. And so sometimes people make statements that, um, you know, semantically are very broad. <laughs> like uh, every any choice you make is the right choice, and you go, right. well, "Wait a second, that can't be true." But but if, if but they don't they they mean something else by it. <laughs> so, yeah, and I, I, I think that's true of this film, yeah. and I, I mean that's how I would kind of perceive. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree. Like, obviously, someone looking back and saying, "Like, should I have murdered thirty women, or should I have murdered twenty five? Like, <laughs> which one was the right one?" You know, like that's obviously yeah. ridiculous. You know, but sure. But but yeah. yes. So so if if you take away that. Yes, if if you limit the scope to what I think the film is trying to focus on, then I think it is it is a perfectly valid valid observation. Well, and something that and and it isn't it isn't about morality for me as far as what I get out of it, but mm -hmm. something that is key uh, to all of this is when I was a conservative Christian, I believed that God had a plan for me, like He has mm -hmm. for everyone. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know God's will. He has a He has a specific plan. You know, there's verses in the Bible about God having a plan for you and things like that. And in the conservative church or the more evangelical church, I think that's more prominent. Uh, and so you spend, although it's prominent throughout Christianity, but uh, you spend a lot of your time thinking like, what's God want for my life? You know, what path should I take? Is it, is it the right one? Is it the one God wants me on? Um, and so it's, it was ingrained in my head from a young age that like, I'm supposed to live a certain life, a certain way. Uh, I just have to find out what that is from God. And so, you know, when things fall apart and you're like, well, like that wasn't supposed to happen, uh -huh. then it is, it's kind of uh, comforting to look back and go, no, it's okay. Like, like shit was going to happen. Oh, sorry. That's okay. I don't know. Can I swear? That's fine. That's fine. Okay. Uh, yeah. So like stuff was going to happen anyway. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. either way, no matter what happened. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely, I'm definitely familiar with that concept. And that seems to me like maybe a kind of a folk Christianity or not even a folk Christianity, but um, cause I mean, you sort of have this concept outside of the church, um, you know, like uh, uh, soulmates and, you know, star-crossed lovers, those kinds of things that really, you know, are, go back to this notion of fate. Yeah. And we've, I think, maybe imported it a little bit. I mean, so I think that, you know, uh, God says, I, I, I know the plans that I have for you is, is a, I believe, a, a passage about 
Israel and and them coming back to, uh, you know, after right. coming back after the um, the exile, mm-hmm. and so. But at the same time, I mean, you, 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 I think that scripture is a little like the, the biblical perspective is a little more robust. But but I, certainly this idea that everything that happens, um, God is well. I suppose you would find that in some Lutheran and some Calvinist um, uh, denominations and traditions where God has. Um, what they call meticulous sovereignty or meticulous determinism that everything that comes to pass is God's will. So even the things that seem terrible are, are somehow within God's purposes. Yeah. And I, I wasn't Calvinist, but um, I actually didn't really associate with that at all growing up. The, mm-hmm. the idea of like, a, you know, predestination and like everything's mm-hmm. mapped out for you, but there was, I, I grew up in the covenant church, which is a conservative evangelical church. And mm-hmm. um, I, I guess I would say it's similar to Baptist, but then I also had ex- exposure to charismatic Christianity. So hmm. a lot of like speaking in tongues and um, things like that. So, so there, it was kind of a mix, but yeah, that idea, I mean, I, even, even at the, you know, liberal Christian tr- uh, school I went to, there was definitely, I actually gave a, a speech about it in one of my classes mm-hmm. when I was kind of deconstructing that idea as a Christian mm-hmm. that, you know, it's okay, whatever path you take, like God's gonna, you know, it's fine with God either way. You know, it's kind of the thing, like as long as you kind of, you're moral, you're good, you mm-hmm. do the right thing, you know, he's your savior, then then the rest is kind of not as important. And that was kind of my, I was kind of starting to have those beliefs when I was going through school. Yeah. And there were definitely people who did not receive that well. <laughs> like hmm. people want to feel like, you know, that God sees them as special and um, and that he has a plan and he cares for them. So yeah. if you say he doesn't have a plan for you, it's like, what are you saying? God doesn't love me. You know, like, so it doesn't, yeah. It doesn't no, no, well. no, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all through the Bible, I feel like there's always kind of a plan and. Yeah, no, no, I, I think, yeah, you're, it's, you're absolutely correct. I think there is an, there's sort of an end goal in mind. The, the passage that um, I think people quote a lot uh, is in Romans eight, where Paul says that uh, everything works together for the good to those basically for, for those who are um, you know who are loved by God yeah. or for the for, well or for the for the Christian specifically so everything works together for the good and so there I think Paul is sort of taking into account things that happen that are bad things that happen that are good but then ultimately you get this end goal is something that's good um, as that for kind of more along the lines of how you see it or I think so yeah I mean you know I, I, I certainly wouldn't I wouldn't want to take like a deistic view that God is completely uninvolved, but I think you do have to take into account um, human choices because they're there. I don't think that everything that human beings do uh, are things that God uh, meticulously foreordained. Um, but I do think that, you know, the biblical perspective, I think seems to take into account human choices and God's interaction. And so, but I think at the, some people use use the language of God as like a chess player or something like that, a master chess player who <laughs> is going to win the game regardless of what happens. But that doesn't mean that if your child is hit by a car that, okay, well, that must have been something God wanted to do for some reason or another. Right. Uh, that, that, you know, he, he God put that car there and my kid there, and, and that's that was something he foreordained from the beginning of the universe. I, I wouldn't take that, that kind of perspective. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that would be... Uh... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know any Christians that do actually. <laughs> um, yeah, in my but, experience, but 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 yeah, but maybe we should move away from the uh, that specific question. But um, but I do think um, so removing the idea of of the morality of it, um, I was thinking about 
like wisdom. So even if every choice might not be, you know, morally wrong or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, couldn't you look back and sort of say, okay, well, this may have been the wrong choice because I didn't really think through what I was doing. I didn't take into account all the information that I should have. And so, you know, I ended up uh, married to someone who's like an alcoholic or an abuser or whatever. And, and if I would have listened to the people around me who cared, then you know what I mean, so sometimes you, you have those things, right? Where their wisdom and, and, and still has to factor in, I think, when, when you're talking about choices that you make. Yeah, I think that's a good point because I don't think it would be uh, a good idea to take away from the movie that um, every choice that you make, mm -hmm. um, like it, like what you just said, basically, like you, you, life, you should be able to look back on life and say, like, yeah, I did this wrong or or that right, and learn from it and move yeah. on. So that does kind of contradict kind of what I get from the film. Um, and and I think that's 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 okay and that's good. I think to kind of have those things in tension where you know I can look back and say I should I should never have made that choice that I made, um, but then also be able to look back and say you know what it happened like yeah sure you know now now what do I focus on like you said live in the present and focus on yeah. kind of the future and and but yeah. yeah that's a good point learning from it learning yeah. from yeah. your. Where, 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 where do you go from here is still a, a, a live question and instead of staying stuck in that past moment. But yeah, I kind of feel like as I watched the film and his choice to be with Elise, who is the girl who's in love with someone else, I don't think was the right choice to make. <laughs> yeah. would, would you think, would you look at that choice and feel like, okay, well that was just as good a choice as any of the other ones you could have made. No, I agree with you. It wasn't the right choice. And I find that ironic because the whole point of the film is like every choice is the right choice. I, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, so I do think there's kind of, it's this tension that's kind of like there that, yeah, I, I agree. Like his right choice was Anna. I mean, I feel like Anna was the right one. They, they were meant for each other. It seemed like they both loved each other equally. Um, at least for a time. Maybe. Yeah, I, I would actually, it's tough to say because they never show you Jean, but Jean actually seemed like maybe the best choice to me because <laughs> she seemed like she loved him in a more uh, uncomplicated and straightforward way, but he was unable to reciprocate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry, so, what did you say? Oh, that's good, but he, he was just unable to reciprocate that. But but it seemed like yes. if you were to look at all three of those women, I mean, Anna, they, they obviously have a lot of, um, you know, attraction or whatever. Um, but I think right at the key moment, she sort of pulls out and it's, you know, it was probably kind of, it obviously seemed to be a very complicated and messy relationship for them to undertake as teenagers living in the same house together. I um, think, yeah. So I, I would almost be tempted to say that Jean might've been the right choice. Well, I think, um, I, I probably distinguish between like, who was the best woman yeah. <laughs> and then like who was meant who who uh who was he meant to be with i i feel like at the end you know he he sees anna when he's on the park bench and they and they embrace and it's like this you know it worked out in the end kind of feeling mm -hmm. um and i feel like she's i could be wrong but she seems the most prominent throughout the film like you see a lot more of their relationship but as far as like the best the best person um gene seems to she's in, she's head over heels for him. Like even when they meet at the dance floor, like she's putting her head on his shoulder and saying his name. And she's, she's obviously like in love from the start. And that seems to be true when they're older and yeah. uh, they have their house and they're established and stuff. And yeah. So I, I think she definitely was the most in love with him of the three women. Well, and, and yeah. And, and Anna is the, his last word. And it seems that like, you know, 
as he is sort of reflecting back or whatever, that that's the, that's the path that he wanted to have taken, uh, that, that he sort of is choosing maybe. Um, and it kind of feels like the movie is saying, okay, I know that we said every path is the right path, but really Anna was the right path. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, What's interesting, you know, I made all my notes. I watched the movie um, yeah. and I, and then I watched a, a review on YouTube about it and something I didn't pick up on, well, I sort of picked up on was that, and this ties in a little bit of that futuristic kind of sci-fi stuff that that you were mm -hmm. talking about earlier, is that up until the point, and it, this may not be perfect, but up until the point that the boy has to make that decision at the train station, um, he, everything from that point forward are all of the possibilities, all the things that could happen. And so in the end, when the whole, like the futuristic universe starts coming apart, it's him not, it's him going away from the, that choice, that path. Mm -hmm. He's like, he runs at the very end, he runs, he doesn't choose his mom or his dad. He runs down another path. Mm -hmm. And so it's him dismantling that option in his mind or that choice in his mind is kind of how I I took that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, well, so, some of the specific details, I, I struggled a little bit to, to follow how it all was fitting in. Yes. Um, I think specifically, so um, because there's there are these sort of sub-choices that appear at different points. So it seems like when he chooses to be with Elise, he there's one option where Elise is there and he could react this way, but instead he chooses Gene, right? Am I, am, I, am I wrong about yeah, that? Yeah, he, yeah. he sees Elise at uh, the dance. Yeah, yeah, at the dance floor. Yeah, because he says the first woman I dance with is going to be the woman that I marry. Exactly. So, so he could have picked Elise there. So there's one where he picks Elise, one where he goes this other direction, and so yeah. that's like that's like after he's already you know made this choice about who he's going to stay with and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it it there's this one. In one of these scenarios, he ends up going off the road and crashing. And I think that's the one where he's with Anna, right? Is that the only one he's where he's with Anna? Does he end up dying young with Anna either way? I thought he died on the motorcycle because it was, it was Elise had rejected him. She was with oh, Stefano. There's the car wreck too, where he gets, he falls into the, uh, the, the lake. He drives that's, into the lake. Yeah. That's when he's with Anna and he's like, I love you. I love you more. And they're going back and forth. They're, they're clearly deeply in love. Mm -hmm. Life life's great as far as the relationship goes. And then a bird hits the window and it's all yeah. over. From so is that his? Is that the only scenario where he's with Anna, or is there another one where they live older? They you know, live together. I think there's older. the one where they separate. Like she goes with her dad, and then she makes a pact to herself that she's never going to love anyone until they meet again. And like yeah. essentially, their lives diverge, and they don't meet again until they're adults. I, I saw that as a different one than. Different one. I, I sort of took it as they end at the end of the movie. They end up together. She finds him on, on the park bench or whatever, and then they probably get married and then he gets in the rack. That was kind of how okay. I understood that, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Well, yeah. And it's so, it's so all over the place. The movie is. And, and I admit like there's moments when you're watching, you're like, this is so weird. <laughs> you know? Well, it, It's interesting to me to think that in the Anna one, he has a shorter life, but that's still maybe the one he wants to choose. Well, and I just think that's so interesting to think back on, like, what would you choose? You know, like, if you think of your own life, like, would I choose a happier marriage, a, a fulfilling career, the perfect family, but I die young? Or would mm -hmm. I prefer to live a long, full life, be super wealthy like he was in this in this one scenario, but not really love my spouse all that much and feel kind of bored with life because everything's kind of set out for him now? He, you know, he that's what he said. He's, he's <laughs> bored, you know, he says he's yeah. bored and... Uh, 
So yeah, I just I, I think those are interesting ideas to to think about. Like what makes what makes life valuable as far as like you know the life on Earth here. Like what yeah yeah what's more important to us? Yeah yeah, and, and that, that kind of brings to mind this whole sort of paralysis of choice thing. And um, I think it's something that Anna says: uh, renouncing all possible lives for only one with you, or or for one only with you. Yeah. Um, and that really every choice we make requires us to exclude other choices. And that can be kind of scary, especially when you're not sure which one is the right one. Yeah. And, and, and even if there are m multiple choices that are valid, you still have to pick one and anything that you could get from the other choice only you lose because you've chosen the, the, the first choice or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, that sort of brings to mind, I think it specifically brings to mind for me um, the choice to be married you know, who you marry is, is one of those things that if you're thinking about it the right way, this is, you know, forsaking all others, as they say. Um, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I mean, I've heard that before, but yeah, no, that's a, in, in relation to this movie, that's a great way to put it, forsaking all others. Yeah. Because you could have these other options, but this is your choice to move forward with. Yeah. With Which, this woman. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think, you know, there is that paralysis choice because we're so afraid of what we might miss out on. Um, and, you know, yeah, it seems to me that if you, if you're making a choice to marry somebody, you can't do it based on the feeling you're having at the moment because you have to stop and, and soberly reflect on the fact that if you're doing this right, you are forsaking every other choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that can be, that can be troubling. And I, what's funny is like, I tend to be really, um, I mean, I don't think it's a horrible thing, but it can be. I, I tend to be controlling. I tend to be really thorough in life. Hmm. Um, whereas my wife is very, uh, you know, it's funny. It's always works out this way. She's laid back and kind of take things, takes things as they come. So the message of the movie wasn't as profound for her because this is how she lives. Like, it's kind of like, okay, this happened. Well, what are we going to do about it? Kind of thing where I'm more like, like, okay, this is what I want to be in life. I'm going to be a pastor and this is how it's going to work. Mm -hmm. And then when things get thrown up, it's like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Um, so it's interesting what different people, different personalities can kind of see in the film, you know? Yeah, for sure. I, I spoke a little bit about the, the, the importance of, of wisdom and the choices that you make. Um, and the film, I think fairly early on, maybe the first scene, uh, there's this idea of pigeon superstition. Yeah, I like that. The uh, and so they have these uh, pigeons that are placed in a box, and if they, uh, you know, push this peck on this button or whatever, then then the, the reward comes in through a little shoot, and uh, then they start putting it in every twenty seconds. So it doesn't matter what the pigeon does; it comes out at a certain time. But the pigeon will start to associate whatever he was doing at the time when the reward comes in with the cause of the reward. Yeah. And the point they seem to be making is that we we often look at where we are now and think, okay, it's because we made the right choice back then. Yeah. And this may be one of those other thought experiments where I'm taking it too far, but it seems to me that there's a sort of suggesting that, you know, okay, so yeah, obviously sometimes you make all the right choices and you still suffer or you make all the wrong choices, but you still, you know, live this wonderful life. But, but it seems to me like they're sort of saying that your choices, you know, don't really matter because whatever is going to happen is going to happen regardless. And it feels like in a way they're, they're kind of, by doing so, it seems like you're not really investing your choices with any value at all. Like it's, it's kind of random, just do whatever you feel like doing at the moment. Yeah. I think that's the, the, um, the threat or that would be the thing 
to I think that would be taking it too far if you do just start to think like you know my choices don't matter I'm just gonna live like live life and like I don't need to think things through I don't need to plan I you know what I mean like that I do think would be like like too far um but I do think that people can and maybe this is more like people like me but credit yourself for things that go right and think like I did this right and that's why it worked out and um gosh, you know, that was great. And I, you know, I, I kind of, I controlled everything and made sure everything happened the way I wanted it to, you know, mm -hmm. uh, or everything went sideways and uh, I'm blaming myself and kicking myself for all of the stupid decisions I made. I, I think that there needs to be a balance between, you know, like crediting and blaming yourself for things that happened because like with the pigeon, like he didn't create that, you know, the food coming through, but he thought he did. He thought, his actions were causing these good things to happen. Um, so I, I think it's like, in my personal view, it's a balance of chance and choice, you know, and it's kind of this try not to give too much weight to either um, mm -hmm. is the takeaway that, that I would get. I, um, or that's what I'm going to decide to believe, like uh, whether the film wanted that or not. I think that's the chance and choice were to me like huge themes. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Do, do you feel like this pigeon thing is is put in there haphazardly, or do you feel like there actually is a because uh, because I'm trying to think of a place in the film where where Nemo nobody falls uh, prey to this sort of pit pigeon superstition superstition issue, and I don't I can't think of a place where he does. That is a, a good observation because um, I'm just going to look at my note really quick because I at the very end um, I wrote. I wrote about it and I made a note about it. Um, okay. Let's see here. Yeah. Uh, well, it's kind of along the lines of what we were saying, like stop giving yourself so much blame or credit for the results of your choices. That's pigeon superstition. But mm -hmm. I don't think he, I can't think of a time that, uh, I mean, maybe like when he was a gene and, and he had planned out his life, like he said, there's, you know, he names, he like rattles off six things when he's on that motorcycle with her that he's going to do. He's going to mm -hmm. be rich. He's going to have a house. It's going to be yellow. He's going to, you know, marry this woman. He's and um, so in that sense, he takes credit for where he, where he gets, but I don't know that that's really a big theme. Um, yeah. As far as that goes, I guess. But again, maybe that was just for, for us as the audience perhaps, but I was just trying to think if it actually kind of fit into the, uh, fit into what was happening in the film. It has to, right? Because it was the first scene, but I, it's hard to kind of, other than kind of how we're tying it in with, with uh, not giving yourself too much credit or blame for things. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Well it, it, well, it occurs to me too. I mean, chance definitely plays a, a role here, but it occurs to me that we didn't really talk about the one choice where um, he shows up at an airport and a limousine driver's holding up, uh, a sign for a name that's not his and he goes with the limousine driver they take him to this nice hotel and then he's shot by a mobster yeah point blank in, in the forehead and i think well, that probably was the wrong choice yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably was <laughs> um i do anyway. think yeah yeah i i think it's i mean kind of to your point like i don't think we can say like um definitively that you know choices never matter you yeah. know uh clearly that was a bad a bad option for him. That was a bad path to take. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, to some extent he couldn't have predicted that was going to happen. So that's where that, that chance thing comes in. But, but I don't think it's entirely pigeon superstition to say that when you steal someone else's ride in their hotel room, that maybe it's not going to work out. 
<laughs> yeah, that maybe those are just like consequences. Yeah. <laughs> like you're just dealing with consequences at that point, like of bad decisions. Well, okay, so yeah. um, I'm interested in this because you, you talked about, um, and it may just be a, a turn of phrase, but the idea uh -huh. of, of um, Anna being meant for him. And as we're talking about choices, it occurs to me that, you know, this issue of, of determinism or fate, um, it, it definitely weighs in. And, you know, there are different Christian views about how this works out as we were kind of hinting at before. Yeah. Um, but it seems to me that um, apart from maybe like followers of Ayn Rand, I, I can't think of any atheist philosophers who believe in free will. Um, some might believe in something like compatibilism where they, they try to maintain it um, by sort of saying, well, you still make the choices you want to make, but you couldn't have made another choice. So yeah. they, they put it not in the making of the choice, but in the intention of, of, the, of the mind that's making it. Um, yeah, no, that's well, a, that's a good observation. When I saw your note about that, I thought that was a good a good thing to bring up. Um, I just, in full disclosure, don't haven't studied a ton of atheist philosophers um, mm -hmm. beyond just like here and there over the last 10, 15 years, you know. Um, but I, I do see the strain of materialism, the Richard Dawkins idea of like we're just, you know, we're physical, we're material, and you know, atoms are bouncing around in our brain and Actually, I think that's what you may have said in, in a podcast uh, that I was listening to, but that it's all just kind of like, it's just natural things kind of bumping up against each other and like just happening. And so essentially we're not in control and everything is determined. And, and uh, I mean, to me, like I could see some truth in that, like that does make sense on some level, but I mean, at the end of the day, I just go, well, no, I, of course I have choices. Of course I have the ability to decide where I go and what I do and who I marry. And hmm. you know what I mean? Like, like uh, it, maybe it's not consistent with, with most atheist philosophers or something, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I feel like common sense just tells me like, no, of course I have free will, you know? Yeah. No, that's, I, yeah, that's also I, the version I, of Christian I was, you know, this is funny, yeah. you know, sure. As a no, Christian, I, I believe that too. So, yeah. Yeah, I think common sense dictates that we make choices. I, I, I think you could argue that that might be an apologetic argument for Christianity or, or theism, at least. Um, that if 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 it is in fact the case that we make choices, and at the very least, atheistic materialism um, doesn't allow for that, which is at least the argument that, that atheist philosophers generally make. Um, well, yeah. Then, then that that might require some form of theism. Well, and I think maybe you can elaborate a little bit what you what you mean. Um, but like, I think as far as atheist materialism goes, I see those as two different things. Like mm -hmm. atheist, you know, obviously tells you one thing about a person. Um, there are probably, I'm, I'm guessing there are people out there who are not atheist materialists. Um, I guess I'd say I'm not, <laughs> um, but how does that, so how does that make a case for theism then in your sure. view? Yeah. So at this point, I don't think there are many atheists who aren't materialists. So um, at one point that was different. So you would have, um, for example, atheist idealists um, who would who would point to um, the primacy of mind um, as opposed to the primacy of matter. But at this stage of the game, atheism, I think, has sort of tended to hitch its wagon to materialism. Um, I think just because it seems to be the only game in town. So an atheist in theory could say, well, I believe that, that there are souls, that this is you know, a material part of human being or, or, or mind or spirit, or I believe in ghosts, or I believe in 
the existence of abstract objects like numbers or whatever. Uh, but there's just very few that do. And I think that and that might be partly a historical accident. I mean, it's always possible, I think, that there could be this rise of Neoplatonism and all the atheists move that way again or something. Um, but it seems to me that the way that atheists have tended to, to go about it is to say, well, you know, we rely on our experience of the physical world. And so if we want to talk about things existing that are that are not physical, that are that are, you know, spiritual or supernatural, well, that's just something that we don't really, you know, countenance. Yeah, I think that's like the Sam Harris kind of kind of take on things. Like even your thoughts are like chemical, physical reactions or physical processes that are happening, you know. Yeah. Um and I mean that's a really good, that's a really like fascinating I guess area to kind of like discover and, and learn about is it is it's interesting to me but uh oftentimes these types of discussions can get and I don't think you're you know you're this type of christian but can get can get derailed into like I'm going to try to convince you God's real by like showing you that material materialism isn't real and then we'll kind of mm -hmm. like you know, show you that, you know, you really don't want to believe materialism, right? So let's go believe this over here. But I think as far as like the, as the discussion goes, it's fascinating to think, okay, are we just determined? Is it just all determined? I mean, I've actually been thinking about that a little bit lately. Like, is it all just physical reactions in your brain and things that are happening and you really don't have any control over it and it was going to happen anyway? Um, or do you really have that choice? And that, you know, if there is no God, that's a fascinating, yeah. um, and maybe even if there is, it's an interesting debate. Yeah, it is. Well, and, and, you know, to clarify, so the, the, the podcast is, you know, we're talking about films and, and reflecting on them from a philosophical or, or even a theological, if, if that's where you come in on it, um, mm -hmm. viewpoint. But yeah, I, I, I'm not looking at this as an opportunity to bring an, an atheist onto my show to convert them in front of an audience. Oh, um, and I didn't think, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't think yeah. so. You, you were pretty clear about that. Yeah, so, yeah. so I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. But, but, but I am interested in sort of seeing where, where these... Um, sort of issues are going to sort of touch on the film and where where the, the relevance might be for us. So it's interesting to hear you sort of say that, you know, maybe you're a little bit more agnostic on that subject. Uh, yeah. As far as materialism goes, I would say I'm agnostic. Uh, cause yeah, cause I don't, I don't think I know enough about it to, to kind of say, you know, definitively, this is what I, what I believe. Yeah. 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 Um, something I was going to mention and, uh, yeah, we can come back to this if if you have more thoughts on that and stuff. But um, something that was interesting to me, I just made a note about was my son watched the movie with me. He's 17. Mm. And it was fascinating because I'm on kind of one side. You know, I'm not the 118 year old man. I'm not that far on that side, but mm. I'm on one side of this choices dilemma. My son's on the other. So he is someone who is very he was raised non-religious and because uh, we deconverted when he was little. But oh, and uh, your, your, your wife ended up making that uh, movement with you. Yeah, she did actually a couple of years later for different reasons. So it was, that was kind of fascinating, but, um, but my son was raised non-religious and, but he's got this personality where he really struggles with like, what should I do in life? Like should he has like about three different career ideas for his life. And that's not uncommon for teenagers, you know, but he's on this one side where he's like, what path should I take? You know, and, and this like choice paralysis and he just doesn't know you know, what to do. And then I'm on the other side, looking back going, did I make the right choices? You know, was this the right path or why did I take that path? Hmm. And so it was kind of fun to kind of talk to him a little bit about like, that's his perspective. And it helps him in the sense that like, Hey, just do your best and make the choices that you think are going to be 
help the best for you and and go with it you know that kind of thing yeah it's interesting yeah yeah it is interesting okay so th th there's this dis uh, distinction that um linguists sometimes make between meaning and significance um and it's it's also one that you could you could bring into these these areas of um um you know philosophy or, or whatever yeah and you know so so meaning is so for example in, in language if if i speak a sentence to you my sentence has a meaning and that meaning is what i meant for it to mean <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's 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 the uh, sense that that i've imbued it with when i say it but it what i say may have uh may spark something for you that wasn't in my mind when i when i constructed the sentence and so yes. that is the significance and so there i think as, as you watch this film um it's kind of vague on this idea of meaning. You know, does life actually have a meaning or a purpose or something like that? But but there's a lot maybe um, maybe it leans more towards significance. And I think that's also the debate that sometimes uh, atheists and Christians have about values. That something yeah. you know m maybe there's no objective moral value or whatever, but you know something or, or you know, something still may have significance to me. It may be valuable to me. Yeah, um, I I think. Uh, that that's actually really interesting. Um, it kind of well, I have a couple different thoughts on it, but I one just with as far as the movie goes, like you know, I'm I'm finding as I'm talking to you that you know maybe the mo the movie's message wasn't 100% what I took away from it. You know what I mean? And I think for you as well, like there's probably things in the movie that it's saying that you're like, well, I see it sort of true, but I'm not totally on board with the full message if that's the message of the movie. So yeah, there's the meaning of the movie, and then there's the significance that we kind of absorb and and make for ourselves from it. Um, and then as far as like the the debate between Christians and atheists, or the discussion between Christians and atheists about life's meaning, that that's a fascinating one for me because I used to be the one on the other side saying like life should be objectively meaningful and needs to have objective meaning to have any kind of value in a sense. Um, and I had a friend of mine uh, who I went to school with, actually, who's an Episcopal priest now. And he was making this strong argument that, like, you know, like, it has to be objective and stuff. And I was trying to kind of counter that with, like, no, you know, for it to be meaningful, it doesn't need to. It just subjective is okay. Um, so that that's a that's definitely kind of an interesting <laughs> idea, too, or that, that discussion is a good one. Yeah. Well, do, would you say that for, for, for Nemo, though, is his primary concern about living a meaningful life or a significant life? Okay. So is his, is his primary focus to live the life that he's supposed to live, like intent intended to live meaning? Yeah. Yeah. Versus... Or, 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 or does he have some, this, you know, is it possible? I mean, does he have like this, this thing in his head of, you know, what's the right decision, you know? So that has to do with objectivity. But significance could be well, wherever whatever decision I make, I can still find value in it, um, even if it you know. So there is no right or wrong decision, period. Just because there's no right or wrong in some sort of you know ultra mundane sense. Yeah, I think when he's little, it he it's the decisions are meaningful. When he's older, I think he's finding significance in the decisions that are made. Um, at least in that scenario or in those scenarios that. I guess. I mean, that's that's a really, I think that's a really complex question um, about about kind of where Nemo's at, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so when he's little, 
So maybe phrase that again, like when he's little uh, and he's having to make the decision between mom or dad, how do you see meaning and significance playing in there? Well, I think I'm thinking of it more as he's looking back when he's older and there's this okay. question of what was the right choice. And, and to say that, well, every path is the right path, I think is to say that any path that you can find value in is, 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 is right. As opposed to sort of thinking, okay, um, what choice should I have made to, to say that, well, I should have made this choice or that choice suggests that you're appealing to some sort of standard outside of um, your own, you know, your innards or how you feel inside. Um, yeah. and, and maybe the point of the film is, is about finding significance where you are because there really isn't necessarily a right or wrong choice to make. Or there's no value in second guessing the other choices you could have made at some point. Yeah. And that's, that's the other factor is, is, is it trying to make a statement about um, how we come to terms with the choices we've made, or is it trying to make a statement about whether or not the choices we make are actually valuable? I think it's coming to terms with the choices we've made. I think that's the point of it. Yeah. Because I, I, yeah. at the end, he says, after that speech about every path's the right path, he says, in chess, it's called Zug Zwang, when the only viable move is not to move. And to me, what he's saying there is, um, there's no value in looking at, at, at second guessing your life. You know, uh, learn to accept. It's about, to me, it's about acceptance of where you're at and and learning to be okay with that and then from there that's kind of like a platform for you to kind of move forward in your life and 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 move on you know move on from these regrets or these second guessing uh moments that you're having yeah most uh most folks that i know who who um, convert from atheism or sorry christianity to atheism uh, have a tendency to get to get kind of into um sort of scientific worldview kind of thing and maybe that's your experience or maybe it's not um but i I, I was curious if you had any thoughts about the kind of use of uh, pseudoscientific or cliched readings of scientific theories. So like string theory is invoked to allow for multiple universes based on individual human choices. Uh, the big crunch becomes this kind of plot device for reversing time. And the butterfly effect is invoked to sort of talk about the randomness of life. And I'm actually shocked that they left out Schrodinger's cat because that seemed like the only one, the only like sort of, you know, cliched, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, physics, you know, uh, theoretical physics kind of, um, um, you know, idea that they left out of the film. Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> so I think I did kind of, you know, uh, look into like some of these like scientific ideas or whatever and kind of, kind of went that way when I first deconverted, like, you know, I started to look into evolution and, and geology and, um, you know, sciences, uh, because it's, you're looking for, well, what can I know about the world and what haven't I allowed myself to learn that now I can just discover and not have to worry about what does God think? I can just learn about it, you know? Could, so could I there, had those moments, but. Oh, sorry not to interrupt. Was, could there also be the, the search for, for meaning now that you've lost sort of a foundational sense of meaning that you, you're trying to sort of make sense of the world now that you, you've lost the foundation a little bit? Um, I, I think that's a good thing to kind of like, come back to like as far as foundational like did i did i lose well i did i mean i did lose my meaning in life at, at at a certain point like my my purpose was to be a pastor and um and i mean you know everything was kind of planned out and, and and then that's all the rugs pulled out from under you and so yeah i mean of course you're gonna look like what what can i trust what can i um find purpose in and for me like i've always been very like um for lack of a better word, because this word's kind of silly, but 
uh, I've always been a very like passionate about whatever I'm into. Um, when I was a kid, it was football. Like I loved football and that was life. That was everything. Um, and then as I became a teenager and got older, I got into the Bible is fascinated me. And, um, it still is really interesting to me. And, um, and, and I was really passionate about that. And then when I knew I wasn't going to be a pastor, it's like, well, <laughs> what's the point in studying this anymore? Like, it's interesting to me, but am I gonna, you know, so yeah, I do think there is kind of this, well, what's the thing that makes me come alive? What's the thing that makes me excited about life? Uh, so yes, I think in that sense, I was looking for something, meaning something to make me feel fulfilled, you know? Okay. So yeah, gotcha. So, so it was more, more of a sense of personal fulfillment and, and yeah. as opposed to like trying to sort of build something new from, from the, from the rubble. Like a foundation. Yeah. Um, the pseudoscience piece is interesting. I, I think I was never one of these like hardcore, like Richard Dawkins, um, Sam Harris. It's gotta be like perfectly scientific or else it has no meaning in life or matter or whatever. Um, they're just kind of like, they, they're so scientifically minded. Like that's, that's everything to them. And for me, I don't care if in the movie, the science is wrong. Like mm -hmm. to me, it's about the art of it, or it's about the, the, the meaning behind it. You know, what's the message trying to convey now, if I was a scientist, I might be, you know, <laughs> irked at the fact that they get some theory wrong or they, or they screwed up the science of it because now lay people are going to watch the movie and be like, Oh, that's what that means. You know? Yeah. So if you're like, yeah, if you're one of these uh, prominent scientists or something, that probably would be frustrating, but I, yeah. I'm cool with the kind of the, the flexibility of that. Yeah. yeah. As sort of a theology and, and sort of church history buff, I sort of have that, you know, if somebody says something about, uh, you know, um, the council of Nicaea editing the books or something, I'm like, Oh, um, I can't do this. Yeah, <laughs> you're wrong. Yeah. yeah. Or Mithras was also, uh, you, know, you know, born of a virgin. No, he wasn't. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I do think uh, sometimes when people move from, especially like religion to uh, atheism, um, science can be used as a sort of foundational thing that you, you build. Well, the, the, the term for it's actually scientism, where science almost becomes kind of a, a religious or philosophical vantage point. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I think that can be, um, you know, incoherent and obnoxious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, but, uh, but yeah, it, it is, it is interesting to watch the movie. I think because I think some of these things become sort of cliches. And, and I think for that, maybe that's the, the artistry of it more than the science of it that I get sort of frustrated with the cliche of, you know, of the butterfly effect or the cliche of, you know, string theory and, and now, you know, we can do all these different multiple universes based on human choices or whatever. Maybe that's where I, I found it frustrating, not because I thought it was inaccurate, but just because I, I was like, okay, we've, we've heard this done. before. Yeah. So many times Hitchcock calls it, I called it a, a, a MacGuffin. So um, that you have this thing in a film that moves the action forward. So you have this, you know, something that somebody's looking for or, or, or trying to, uh, destroy or, or whatever maybe it's a bomb they're trying to find it's it's really just there to give something to care give the character something to do and so it's it's a little bit like that where it doesn't really matter what the thing is it's just that it's there to allow the plot to move forward mm, and, okay yeah maybe that's kind of what you're you're thinking like maybe that's what the some of these scientific theories they were throwing in were just kind yeah. of move the plot along yeah it's, it's there because it kind of helps you, you know, to move the ideas forward but um it, is, it was interesting to me, though, that they mix these, um, you know, ultimately kind of pseudoscientific, but ostensibly scientific <laughs> ideas with 
this religious folk tale of because this whole idea is that he's before you're born you know the future but an angel touches your lip and you forget it but that yeah. never happened to uh that never happened to um nemo yeah. so that that's why he's able to look forward and see all these things that was and, interesting to me too yeah so um which actually there is a it's sort of this folk religious thing, but there is a similar idea in Islam that everyone uh, before they're born is a Muslim. And then when you're born, you forget Islam. I believe that's true of Mor Mormons, not in the same sense, not that everyone's a Mormon, but uh, I believe Mormons think that they used to exist uh, and then they're born. Like they used to exist in the heavenly realm and then they, they come to earth, they're born in earth. And that's correct. Yeah. So, so for, that made me think of Mormonism. Yeah. Yeah. For Mormons, the, uh, um, God the Father is a physical being, uh, but he has many wives that he um, copulates with, and then what are born are what are called spirit babies, and yeah. so then they they are looking for physical bodies to inhabit. Yeah, um, that was that was really interesting, especially coming from like a, a Christian background and knowing a little bit about Mormonism. I was like, oh, this is really interesting that they're throwing this in there, you know? Yeah, but but I, I uh, yeah, you sort of hear that kind of stuff like almost like a sort of like a neoplatonic stuff too, that the idea that you have this soul that pre-exists uh, your body and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, but I, I wondered if the mix of these two things together, these ostensibly scientific things, and then this sort of religious-y folktale um, were meant to uh, kind of underline the notion that life is, you know, sort of both rational and mystical, uh, that there, there are things that you can put under a microscope, but then there are things you can't. And so yeah. that Nemo's, you know, sort of a living in a, in a world that's both. Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's rational, mystical, and then the rational would correspond to me to choice and the mystical would correspond to chance. Mm -hmm. Like I, I was saying earlier that I thought the movie was about choice and chance. Those were huge themes in it. And I think that goes perfectly with what you're saying about rational, mystical, because, you know, there's this moment where his his dad slips on a leaf and then the mom comes to help him. And that's how they meet and then they get married. So it's this total chance encounter, um, you know, but then there's these choices that he makes, you know, um, I mean, there's choices all throughout the film, but, um, you know, the choice he he made to be, you know, wealthy and to marry a certain woman and to have everything the way he wants. There is a part of life where we do make these choices and we fall through on these plans and and that's a part of it and they work out for us sometimes. And that's that's one part of it. And then there's the other piece of it where, well, if this, this or this didn't happen, it completely, everything would have fallen apart. Nothing, none of this would have happened, you know? So yeah, I do think that there's definitely kind of this, this, um, this balance between rational and mystical in the film for sure. Yeah. Do, do, does that resonate with you in, in any sense or, or, or are you, are you, have you shed yourself of all superstitious impulses? <laughs> no, I think, I think what you're getting at with that question is really important because there are a lot of atheists out there. And I'd say probably a lot of the more vocal ones who come across as, people who would would adhere to scientism or militant atheists, you know, mm -hmm. like kind of atheists have this, this, um, this bad uh, reputation of, of being in your face and like, you're stupid if you believe in religious stuff and, and they, they want to like show you how much smarter they are than you. I mean, that's kind of this reputation that atheists have. Um, and I, I mean, I know a lot of atheists that aren't that way. We just may aren't, maybe aren't the more vocal ones, but um, it's, as far as like incorporating spirituality or mysticism to some degree in my life, I'm okay with it the way I define it. So like saying spiritual, obviously I don't believe in a soul. I don't believe in a spiritual realm. So when I say spiritual to me, it's, it's 
like emotional. It's like, um, has to, I guess it has to do with that, like finding purpose and feel a sense of awe, having awe, like being mm -hmm. in nature and, and seeing like, you know, an amazing sunset or being in a forest and just an amazing view and having that sense of awe and wonder about life can feel spiritual, you know, and I'm totally fine with that type of thing. And I'm, and I'm okay with mystery too. Like, um, one of my, once someone I talked to recently was talking about, um, letting the mystery be, you know what I mean? Like being okay with like not having all the answers. And, and as an atheist, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with, with just, you know, I, maybe I can't explain this or that. That's okay with me. You know, I'm, I'm okay with, yeah, I don't know. So you get the idea. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think one of the terms for it, um, is a uh, numinous, um, you know, huh. the, sort, sort of, um, uh, suggesting almost like the presence of divinity or something like that, um, that, that you maybe have, um, you know, as, as you're looking through nature, holding your newborn child in your arms or something like that, it, you, you sort of feel like, you know, okay, well, even if you tend toward a very um, rationalistic approach, you sort of feel like, okay, there, there's something to this that's like almost magical that I can't quite put my finger on, but I feel yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think there's actually quite a few of agnostics and atheists that I think are okay with that idea, yeah. uh, who wouldn't say it's God or spiritual, but uh, yeah. a spiritual realm, but would definitely feel those feelings and say that's a huge part of their life too, is, you know, mm -hmm. those moments that, yeah, like you said, are kind of mag magical or deeply yeah. profound. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it, ironically, I would say uh, Dawkins even has a book called The Magic of Reality, <laughs> where he's trying to sort of invest the numinous with a, a sort of a natural uh, uh, origin or whatever. But There's a um, great book by a French philosopher called The Little Book of Atheist Spirituality. Mm -hmm. And the title itself is super intriguing. You know, like, what? Atheist? Spiritual? How can mm -hmm. those things go together? But the first two chapters I really loved, um, and he gets into a lot of this type of stuff. Um, but he's a philosopher, so like the third chapter is like super philosophical, and I was almost kind of like, eh. But it's it's that idea of kind of incorporating, you know, the rational with the mystical. Mm. Gotcha. I like well, it. Yeah. yeah. So well, we probably should start wrapping up because we, we've been doing this for about an hour now, and, and I want to uh -huh. keep it too long. Um, what what are some thoughts that you kind of like to leave off with? Is you know things that maybe you sort of came away with from the film that maybe we haven't really covered yet, or something like that? Oh, man. I, f I feel like we've covered a lot. Um, I mean, I my, my favorite parts are kind of the ones that I mentioned where, you know, he says every path's the right path. Um, each of these lives is the right one. Um, he says everything could have been anything else and it would have had just as much meaning. And I think for someone, like we were saying, looking back on their life and wondering what could have been or if, if they did it right, um, just being able to accept that you're not going to make all the right choices in life and that's okay. And to have kind of compassion on yourself when you make mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, I think that for me, that's the takeaway and that's, you know, it's personal, obviously like I'm associating it with my experience. Um, but that's, that's what I take away from it. Yeah. That kind of like finding peace with, with where you're at in life in a way. Yeah. Well, and, and, and yeah. And uh, well, one thing that sort of comes to my mind that in, I'll kind of come back to it again because I sort of said this earlier um, that any choice you would have you would have made would have had just as much meaning or or maybe I would use the word significance there since I've already distinguished those two. Um, but uh, if 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 you are uh, married to a gene 
who <laughs> is the character in the film who he yeah. marries, who he's unhappy with. Uh, maybe you should you should find that to be just as meaningful and wonderful and try to enjoy it as opposed to going back and thinking, I wish I would have uh, ended up with this uh, troubled girl who was in love with somebody else uh, who would have made my life a living hell. Yeah, I, I like that <laughs> message too. I think I think sometimes we miss the great things that are in our life right now by yeah. looking elsewhere. Absolutely. Oh man, that's what she says to him too. Like in the movie, she says, you're always, I think she says like, you're always looking, you're always elsewhere or something like that when she's by the pool and you know, she finds this letter and she, you're always elsewhere, you know? And I, I think that's the point. Like he's looking around for happiness when he has, he should appreciate what he has kind of thing. Well, and actually he's dropping in and out of the two different choices. The one where he marries Elise and one where he marries uh, Jean. Cause if yeah. you recall, he even like mistakes, he's confused when he sees the other kids because yeah. he's sort of in this other world with, uh, with, uh, you know, Elise or whatever. Yeah. And that uh, comes back to the, um, the Zig Zwang, you know, um, the only viable move is not to move. So stop looking at these other options here. Stop thinking about these other things. Just learn to be okay with learn, learn to, you know, um, uh, you know, be interested in and find, find meaning and significance and, and happiness. Look, look for happiness in the life you have, you know, and, and mm -hmm. in ways that you can find it in, in, in this life, in this path, you know? That's great. And, and I think that's very wise. And I appreciate you uh, being here with me today. And and if somebody wanted to check out some of these deconversion stories, uh, where, where would they find that? Yeah, um, they can just go, they can Google Voices of Deconversion or uh, it's VoicesofDeconversion.com or VODpodcast.com. Either, either one will get you there. Um, and if they want to um, reach out to me and they have any questions about the podcast or are interested in anything, um, they can reach me at Steve at vodpodcast.com so they can email me i'm also on twitter uh so you can find voices of deconversion on twitter uh and facebook so those are kind of the main places awesome thank you so much steve i appreciate it yeah thanks cody appreciate it